Hello. Great to be here. Have the opportunity to share with you. Uh, this is my second week of this trip in Scotland. And uh, I'm really blessed that you all came on such a beautiful day. And didn't feel led to lay out in the sun. Either way, you get away from the sun. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? Terrible. <laughs> I'd like to introduce someone that I brought with you. This is Car with me, Carol Kopecki. She's from Dallas, Texas. Uh, I've known Carol since her parents came and told me that they were having another child. Uh, I took her sister to a youth conference in London about 12 years ago. And he was taking a picture. And uh, I promised her that I would... Uh... <laughs> so I promised her I would take her on a trip, and uh, she is a worship leader in a church I started back in 1987 in the Dallas area, and uh, she's also uh, moving, learning, and growing in the prophetic, so she's like a daughter to me, so I'm very glad to have her with me. So she has only a few more days to go before she has to go back, but Carol, thank you for coming along. Well... As your pastor said, I uh, do move in the prophetic, and I say this to you just about every time I come. I don't feel the pressure to perform. I don't feel the pressure to prophesy over you. I do feel pressure when I prophesy over you, but, but I don't feel pressure to do so. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come and that's not what he wants to do today, then we want to do what he wants to do. Amen? And so sometimes when I come and I don't minister to anybody prophetically, I know that we're all disappointed. But when God speaks through the preaching of the word, it is as powerful and as personal and as necessary as a personal prophecy. Uh, I, I don't mind ever coming and, and ministering prophetically in churches because I pastored for 28 years and I've been traveling now for 16. Hello, Brandon. Hello, Melissa. Good to see you. Hello. <laughs> Good Texans back there. We're, we're praying for the draft for the Cowboys, are we? Yes, okay. Uh, <laughs> where was I? <laughs> it is an important thing in ministry. I know what it's like to be a pastor and what people minister to. I know what it's like to sit in a congregation desperate to hear from God. But you know what? God is able to speak to each one of us whether I say anything or not because he is God. And I, when I met the Lord, I told him, uh, I told him I didn't want to be tricked into some emotional religious experience. He said I wasn't really interested in being good. Uh, but if you are who you say you are, then I'm asking you to show me and I'll follow you. And from that day until this day, the Lord has shown me that he really is Jesus, God who became flesh, the Son of God who gave himself as a sacrifice for the sin of the world, and that God raised from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and all things have been given into his hands, all authority in heaven and earth. And he communicates that to us in so many different ways if we will just listen and we'll respond. 
you have to walk with God in a place of faith. At some point, you have to choose to believe him. And so I told him, if you show me, I'll follow. And uh, back then, you know, I had really long hair and a long beard. I was very thin, a little thinner than I am now. Uh, <laughs> been playing rock and roll professionally for six years. And uh, God had to help a whole generation of us because the churches wouldn't let us in the door. They didn't have anything to do with us. In fact, my, the woman who became my wife, her pastor and her parents and all of her congregation believed that we of the hippie generation, the Jesus, the, the became the Jesus freaks, uh, couldn't really ever be saved. I mean, they, we, they thought we were beyond salvation. And God came and got us. So let me tell you, wherever you are in your life, God can come and get you. God can come and speak to you. God can come and draw you unto himself. He can do marvelous things with every one of us. Let's all say amen to that. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, and let's talk about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Do we have any people in the, in the congregation that work scheduling events you know, do any kind of event things? A number of you. Okay. You know, events are big deals. You know, and the bigger the event, the more planning it takes. This event literally was planned hundreds of years prior to it happening. Zechariah prophesied about this event. Zechariah was a prophet who prophesied at the same time as Haggai and, and Micah, and they were... They were uh, prophets in exile who are prophesying about Israel coming out of exile from Babylon. And so this is hundreds of years in the planning. So this is a big event. This is a big deal. It doesn't end well, but it's a big deal, and it is one that we need to look at and, and God help us to make the right decisions in our response to what we read. All right, let's go. Matthew 21, I'm reading from the New King James. It says that now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, this is Zechariah, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on him and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved and said, Who is this? What an amazing event. This is a, a major event because Jesus is coming in full revelation of who he is. The king. The promised king. It will end 
When he's crucified and Pilate has put above his cross, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, written in Hebrew, written in Latin, written in Greek, of the mouth of two or three witnesses. It's at that point that the king of the Jews is crucified. And when he is resurrected, he's no longer the king of the Jews, but he is the king of all kings. He's the king of all nations. For the nations of the earth have been given unto him. But it begins in this major event of this Jesus who always was trying to stay out of the limelight and telling people that he would heal and do miracles for. Don't go tell anybody. Just go and praise God and show yourself to the priests. He was trying to have the opportunity to keep preaching the word and ministering and demonstrating the kingdom of God. He didn't want people to try to take him and make him king because there's only one that could make him king, and that's the Father. Amen? And in our lives, we shouldn't really try to look to be kings or look for positions. We just look for the grace to serve God and do the will of God in our lives. Amen? Exaltation comes from the Lord. He lifts us up and he can take us down. But it all comes at the hand of the Lord. Now, I love this story because it has these peculiar things in it. I mean, I know that there's the fulfillment of what Zechariah prophesied, but has it ever bothered anybody that Jesus says, go into the town immediately across from us, and you're going to find this donkey and, and its colt, and you take it. And if anybody says, what are you doing? Just tell them that the Lord has need of it. It's just a funny story to me. I think that what we see in this is that we see the divine providence. We see the hand of God. We see God reaching in miraculously to set things up so that from start to finish of this thing, we see something that God, an event that God has orchestrated. And so in verse 5 when it says, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Now all Jerusalem is going to have a choice of whether they're going to accept Jesus as their king or not as their king. And it's an amazing thing because there were, we don't know how many is in a multitude, but we're going to have to give it that it was quite a few people, wouldn't you say? And so they, they take off their, their outer robes and they lay them on the ground and they go and get, they get branches that have leaves on them and put them on the ground so that donkey is not walking on the dirt, but it's like a red carpet is rolled out for the Lord as he comes into Jerusalem. A king who is worthy of exaltation. And they cry out that which the psalmist prophesied. Save, O God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they, they are rejoicing. It's an, it's an incredible experience. And the people are in front of him. People are behind him. And uh, we're going to follow this story all the way into the temple. And we're going to find when they get into the temple, the little children are in the temple. And they pick up the same cry. And they continue it. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all Jerusalem is shaken. That word moved literally means to be shaken. They're, 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 what, what's going on here? And I'll tell you, when, when I met Jesus, my life was shaken. My parents were shaken. My girlfriend was shaken. My best friends were shaken. I spent two weeks going and visiting everybody's priest or pastor trying to explain to them what had taken place in my life because my life so radically changed. 
And the nature of Jerusalem is now getting ready to radically change. Because at their rejection of Jesus as the king, the leaders of that nation, at the end of this chapter, he tells them, I'm going to take the kingdom from you and give it to those who will bring forth the fruit. It's a powerful thing. And I look out as in the congregation, I look at your faces, and I, I wonder if you're like me, and you, you sometimes struggle with who is the king of your life. Anybody here? I know the church down the road does. They struggle with it. You don't. So we'll talk about them. <laughs> Who's going to rule? Who's going to receive your praise? Who's going to receive your honor? Who are you going to go in front of and behind? And who are you going to humble yourself before and put your garment so that, that his foot doesn't touch the ground? Even the donkey's foot doesn't touch the ground. But you honor him in such a way and such open worship and rejoicing for everybody to see. I really appreciated the worship uh, this morning. I thought Sarah did a great job in the worship team. And I, I love it when you get to that one part in the, one of the, the song and it, you're quiet and it's talking about the cross and you all come back in about the victory and he arose. Because it just has such a power to it, doesn't it? There is an openness that we are not people who serve a, a, a Jesus who died. We serve a Jesus who died and rose again. And I want to ask you today, do you think maybe God is looking for a greater response to him in praise and worship? Do you think that maybe sometimes we come into church and we are so preoccupied with our lives that we don't really enter in to the degree that we could or should? Well, then that, there's a corollary question with that. Don't you think that maybe your lives are such that if you took what you should be doing here out there, you would have a greater sense of peace and resolution and confidence and knowledge that we have a God who watches over us, a king who does miraculous things for us, who intervenes for us, who rules over his kingdom, not from the highest heaven and far away, but he comes and he dwells in the midst of his people. That's the whole message of the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that after his resurrection, he still comes. And by his Holy Spirit, he stands in the midst of the church. And he stands in the midst of our homes. And he stands in the midst of our jobs. And we are a people who can trust him and cross over without any doubt or without any question or without any confusion and say he is king. He is king over all. You know, my father, was, uh, my father died when I was three. And my mother remarried three and a half years later. And she married a man who was violent. Very angry man, very cruel man, and uh, he was really hard on my sisters and me. Uh, we were we were abused physically, and uh, they had three children, and so we were kind of they couldn't quite wait till we got out of the house. Then I had children, and as a boy, I swore that if I had children, I'd never bring them around him because of his violence and his anger. God had other plans for that. The love of God changes you. 
I learned to love this man. It took me 14 years, but I learned to love him and forgive him. So I had just started a church. I mean, literally just started a church. And my, my uh, father-in-law was going to get remarried. His wife had died. And he was getting remarried, but I couldn't leave. So my wife took our three kids, and we were in Reno, Nevada, and they went to Texas where the wedding was. And uh, <laughs> they went to the wedding, then they went up to Dallas where my family was, and they stayed with my mother and my stepfather. And I got this call that my stepfather had kind of gone after my little daughter, you know, to really hit her. Well, that didn't go over too well with me. So most of the night I didn't sleep. And the next morning I'm getting up and I actually do shave occasionally. Uh, and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm, you know, I'm having this thing going on in my mind of what I'm going to say to this man and what I'm going to do to this man. You know, when you're emotionally unhealthy about something and angry with someone, it never leaves you. You have this emotional thing. You know how you know you've really forgiven someone when you're not always trying to tell them off emotionally? You can judicially do it. I forgive you. But until you cross over and release them from that which they should be judged for, you're still holding them in place of judgment. Now, that was free. So I'm sitting, I mean, I'm standing there and I'm, you know, I'm getting more and more angry. And, and it's like years of anger is coming up. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, why don't you pray for him? That my love would flow through him to your wife and to your children. I wasn't quite sure that was going to be as emotionally satisfying as being angry. But I obeyed the Lord. And I prayed. And from that point on, he was kind and gentle and considerate to my family. Which meant that I didn't get the chance to go and tell him off. (laughs) But I want to tell you something. My children, my family is the most important thing to me in my life next to serving the Lord. Come on. So for God to do that taught me a very big lesson. That in the areas that are the most important to you in your life, the places where you are the most vulnerable, and the places where you want to rise up and do what you would feel naturally to do to go and protect your family, if you pray and trust the King of kings and Lord of lords, he is able to reach in and do a marvelous work of healing and deliverance and protection for your families. If you can trust him with your families, then you can trust God in every area of your life. I want to challenge you today to make a decision today like those who followed Jesus into Jerusalem to be the ones that declare openly day in and day out in your life that he is the king. You can get upset, you can get worried, but go and talk to the king and put it at his feet. Take your robes off, lay it at his feet and worship him and honor him and put him in a position where he really is the one that has rule and authority in heaven and earth. You can say amen anytime. Don't, don't, don't hold back. Okay. This whole city is moved. And they say, who is this? In verse 11 it says, So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. 
And so you would think that Jesus would be finished at this great event. But Jesus never finishes in just the process of being exalted. He has purpose. He has purpose in your life. This young lady right here, got a blue jean jacket on. Yeah, would you come up here? What's your name? Courtney. Courtney. Put him up. It's the privilege of being from Texas. <laughs> Courtney, the Lord's been working with you. And it's, it's, uh, it's almost like he's been hemming you in. He's kind of been putting some pressure to hold you in place. Because uh, you have these decisions you're trying to make and you, you, you get frustrated with it and you want to run here and you want to run there and he keeps pressuring and kind of holding you in place. And, it, and you're not quite sure what's happening in your life. But God is in the process this hour and this day in your life to bring you into relationship with him because you've experienced some hurts and some places of, in your life where they, they, they kind of have shut you down. And the Lord is saying, I want you to look up into my face and I want you to see my approval. I want you to see my, my love for you and my acceptance for you. And I want to pour into your life. I want to pour into your life. I want you to drop the baggage that you've been carrying. I want you to drop the frustrations. And I want you to come and I want you to show you. I want to show you how to walk with me. And how to know the love of God. How to know the good things of God. I'm coming this day to rescue and to deliver and take you to a new place that you can find peace and find grace. Amen. Is that all right with you? Yeah. God bless you. Okay. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. And you can imagine, here's all these people coming with him into the temple. It was not unusual for them to believe that the Messiah was going to come to the temple. Malachi prophesied about it. Did he not? I lost you somewhere. <laughs> he goes into the temple and he knocks over the money changers' tables and he quotes from Isaiah and he says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And then he quotes from Jeremiah, But you have made it a den of thieves. Then it says, and this is something that struck me as I was reading this passage earlier this week. Then the blind and the lame came to him. And he healed them right there. And the leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were not just angry with him that people came and said, Hosanna in the highest. They were angry with him because he had also healed in the midst of the temple. They were incredibly jealous over what he had done. And so they try to shut him down and say, don't you hear what they're saying? Because they're indignant. And Jesus says, yes, haven't you ever read that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? This passage began to make me think not only about this entrance of the king, but he comes to his house and he clears out his house of that which is contrary to what he wants to take place. Because God has a standard for his house. And if we went to the passage in Isaiah, 
It actually says that the, he's prophesying about the foreigners who say, I have no place with God, and the, and the eunuchs, that they are a dry tree and have no future, no posterity, and no, no hope. And he says, they'll all be joined in because my house has been made to be a house of prayer, and I will make them joyful. Now, when I was growing up, I went to a church where you, you didn't really express joy. God was up at the, the very front in this little box, and you had to be very quiet. I mean, if you talked to church, it's the best you could do. That was a big church, and it would echo, so you didn't even do that. We had bells, you know. We had big choirs. We had a beautiful big church. The difficulty was no one ever told me that I could know God. He comes to his house because God wants to make us joyful. Now, what I don't like in church is when people get so quiet that they forget that this is supposed to be a noisy production. I'm sorry, it's noisy. I don't know how you guys get away with it. I always hear nice voices up here. The churches I pastor, the people with the worst voices sit on the front two rows. <laughs> and they can sing louder than anybody in the church. And we have drums and guitars and keyboards and, and a PA system, and they can sing louder than all of that. And if you're trying to sing, they're either flat or sharp, and you're going, oh. And there's always the one lady who sings really loudly, and she's always just a little bit behind the beat. You know, we had to ban tambourines because the beat went... never was... But it was a joyful noise. And I had to get used to it. In fact, there was one guy, he's very tall, six foot five. And we'd be worshiping and I'd step up to the podium and I'd be worshiping and I'd open my eyes and there he is and he's doing movements like Elvis. But he's doing it with sincerity before God. And I just had to get used to it that there are some really strange people in the earth. And God loves those strange people just every bit as much as he loves me and you. And so in this house of prayer, this house where we come and make petition, Jesus came and he healed the blind and the lame and he made them joyful. And the context of what we're talking about in, in Jesus coming to the, to the temple and to the house of God is that people came in and God met them and ministered to them and made them joyful. And I want to say if God's been ministering to you today, then you need to, to let God bring some joy within your life. Okay, you can't always look like you've been weaned on pickles. You, <laughs> you got to come to a place where you say, God, I rejoice in you. Come on. If he's the king, then we have a lot to be happy about. If some, you know, if, if I die today, the worst thing's going to happen to me is I'm going to go be with Jesus. And in our lives, in the way we live, we have to see the grace of God move in our midst. What did Jesus do in the temple? He exercised faith, yes. 
but he moved by the Spirit of God and he healed people. What's supposed to happen in the house of God? People are supposed to get healed. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lives changed. How does that happen? Well, if we go and read from the book of Acts forward, we're going to find that the Holy Spirit doesn't just anoint Jesus and come and minister, but now he anoints every member of the body. For we have all received grace. We all minister grace. Whether it's the, someone playing up here. You know, you can always tell when a singer or a musician's come under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden you're feeling and hearing something that's just, you kind of want to dive into that stream of what they're playing. But there's gifts of the Spirit. There's healing, there's miracles, there's prophecy, there's tongues and interpretation, there's word of knowledge, there's mercy, there's kindness, there's administration, there's all kinds of things that should be taking place in the life of the church. And one of the things as I was praying for you as a, as a congregation that I felt God say to me concerning you is you need to stir up the gifts that are there in the midst of the church. You need to stir it up. You don't need a preacher to come in and stir you up so you're feeling all pumped up. You need to stir up something before God. It begins with declaring that he is the king. And once you have come to that place of incredible honor of him as the king, then all of a sudden your life is in a place where you're saying, I'm wanting to follow you. I'm wanting to go into the house of God and I'm wanting to see the grace of God released through me. And when you go out those doors, you're saying, God, I'm going out in your name and I want the grace of God to be released through me. See, I had the privilege of not having any training. <laughs> because the church wouldn't take us, you sure can't expect the Bible colleges and seminaries to take us. So we were left, I lived on a Christian commune with a bunch of people who had come out of the, of, you know, of every kind of Eastern religion and every kind of everything. I mean, you, just, you can't imagine. And oddly enough, we're out in the middle of the piney woods of East Texas. I mean, I can't even find the place now because there's no signs. We, I mean, you just, God brought people from all over the country. He even brought some people from Hawaii and they just said, we just felt to come to Texas. And they made their way to this little small commune. And we lived in a two-bedroom farmhouse. Had a living room and a kitchen. And one of the married couples had the bedroom. So the other 20 of us were sleeping on floors and tables. <laughs> and God came. God taught us. We got the word out. We started reading. We started praying. And it says... Uh, we're supposed to pray for one another. Okay. I wonder what we're supposed to pray. <laughs> and so we started praying for one another. So God started healing people. Then we started looking in the Psalms and it talked about lifting up your hands. He said, lifting your hands, I wonder what that's about. We read the psalm where David says, let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. So we started lifting up our hands when we worshiped. You know, it was kind of funny. Everybody sitting around kind of going. <laughs> Some starting off like this. 
And then there was a moment when the Holy Spirit starts teaching us. And we start singing a song and all of a sudden the Spirit of God starts touching us, making us joyful in the house of God. And all of a sudden our hands are starting to go up because there is a natural response to God that says, if I could embrace you, God, or if I could come to you, I would in this moment of praise and adoration. You see, there is this need for us to stir up the things that God teaches us. I remember the first time I prophesied. It was the scariest thing I ever did in my life. I had never heard anybody prophesy before. So I had no idea what it was supposed to be. All of a sudden, God's saying something to me, and I just feel like I've got to do this. I did it. And, and really, the reaction of the people around me was, man, you're getting to be really scary. <laughs> but God started doing something. And I want to say to you, how many of you have ever prayed for somebody to be healed, laid hands on them and prayed for them? A number of you. When's the last time you did it? How many of you have prophesied before? When's the last time you did it? Okay. How many of you have ever used a word of knowledge? When's the last time you did it? See, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I want you to stir up. Don't neglect the gift. Stir it up. Shake it like Jerusalem was shaken. Get it, get it active again. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you can pray some dumb prayer like, I need help. <laughs> or you can start exercising it. You can start getting up and saying, God, I need you to do something inside of me to, so that this gift doesn't go, to way, go away. I know, I know ministers from all over the world, and I will tell you that some of them have, have in confidence told me, you know, I used to really move in praying for the sick. But I stopped doing it. And now when I, when I know that they, people need to be healed, I don't, there's no unction. There's no anointing. Well, what happened? Well, I disregarded it as not important. I didn't pursue God. So that in the midst of worship, in the midst of praise, in the midst of all the things we do in the house of God, I neglected the showing forth of the king and his power. I think you as a church need to stir yourselves up again. You need to start rising up again. You say, well, I've got too many problems. Listen, listen, listen. I'll tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody. You may always have problems. I'm just saying. There may be one day in your life that you don't have problems. That's when they've given you medication. <laughs> and you're knocked out. You're not thinking anything. You're not feeling anything. But if you're going to breathe, you're going to have problems. And if you're going to relate to people, you're going to have problems. And if you're going to relate to yourself, you're going to have problems. You know, you know the joke. People said, I got to find the perfect church. And the pastor said, oh, don't go there. You'll ruin it. <laughs> the reality is that, that we are a people that are dependent upon God to help us through, to face our lives, to, to find solutions to our problems. 
You may face problems here, but the problems you started out with that God has brought you through bring you into a place of faith and a knowledge of the history of God in your life so that your faith is in who he is, but also in what he has done so that you can face the things that come to you in life. This is a day in which God is looking to take you as a church and to release you. You have been in a place of almost dormancy again, and God is coming to breathe upon you, to cause you to rise up, to find new life. It's like a breath of fresh air that God is, is sending to breathe upon you. And there is a, there is a call from the, from the heart of God to arise and be joyful once again. Arise and, and come and serve me once again. Arise and that which I have placed in your heart and in your, your lives, let these things be stirred up and be released for I will bring great fruit from it. You are a people through whom the Lord wants to work. You are a people whom God wants to stir up and let his life flow through. But you can't always sit and wait for him. Sometimes you have to arise and chase after him. You have to run after him and exalt him and let him be the one who is exalted and the one who is worthy of all your energy and all your time. And sometimes it's necessary to put your problems at his feet and say, Lord, you know that I have these problems, but I will serve you if you want to use me to minister to other people because your problems become the tools through which God teaches you how to find faith and how to find grace and how to minister to other people. You can look at them and say, oh, they're overwhelming, or you can rise up and say, I'm going to conquer these things through Christ who is strong and mighty. And as you learn to conquer them, you then have a grace and a faith to minister to other people. But if you think that it's just all about anointing falling on you, you don't understand spiritual life. Spiritual life is about you surrendering to the king. Spiritual life is about you letting God teach you and train you and bring you through difficulty. I've shared a lot of my life over the last nine years now here, the things that I have been through, and yet I've only shared a little of what I've been through because it's not the most important aspect of my life. What's important of all the things I've been through is that I got through them. God brought me through. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, of course, my father dying at three was probably the most traumatic thing that ever happened in my life. But I have a father now. Not theoretically, not theologically, but in reality. And those of you who have grown up without a father or a father present, I can tell you that my father is always present. My father is always watching over me. And my father disciplines me. Because he loves me. And I've learned over now 45 years not to be afraid of God disciplining me. I don't like it, but I need it. Come on. But the things that I have been through, God has brought me through. Let me just give you some of the ones that I've talked to you about. Only because I want to make a point. 1982, my sister 
After going back to university, she graduated, went back to university, took a bunch of science classes, got into medical school, spent the next four years or three or four years in medical school. She had finished all her classes. She was going to go do her residency. And she was murdered by a serial killer the day after she finished everything. I can't tell you the trauma that that brought in my life and the sorrow and the, the grief and how hard it was to live day to day. And I would go and I'd pray and I'd say, God, I have nothing. I have nowhere to go but to you. My younger brother, my youngest brother died of AIDS 1991, I'd led him to the Lord when he was young. He went on and into some bad situations and went into the homosexual lifestyle, contracted AIDS, and two days before he died, he came back to the Lord. Laid on his bed and said, you know, Lord, you didn't make me this way. I did. My choices. And I've thrown my life away. Please forgive me. Went into eternity, having had his life reconciled with God. 1990, my wife was disabled. My wife was always a partner with me in ministry. She was one of those women that was always 110%. Always had to slow her down. When she was a child, she ran everywhere. And she had to have a surgery because she was being paralyzed. And they found birth defects that nobody knew about. And so for the last be 26 years this November, I've been taking care of her as her life has been greatly impaired. It's not a day that she lives that she's not in pain. Do I like it? No. Do I think God did it to me? No. God's been with me to bring me through it. And I tell you what, there's been some dark days. Financially, emotionally, in every way you can possibly imagine. I had to take over being the father and the mother, raising my children. My son had just gone off to university. I had a daughter going the next year to university. It was a transition time in our lives. It just shook everything in our lives. But I'm telling you that God can get you through it. In the ministry, I've raised up a number of churches. I had one decide that they wanted to give me the left foot of fellowship. <laughs> Broke my heart. These are people I loved, laid down my life for, cared for. It's been all reconciled now. But I tell you, at the time, I thought I was going to die. My blood pressure went up. Because, you know, when things that you live for fall out from underneath you, family, friends, what do you have left? But I tell you what, I have a king. And I would go to him in each of these events, and I would just, I'd just kneel down, and I'd say, Lord, I have no control over my emotions right now. I have no control over my future. I have nothing, but I have you. And I've come to you because you have the words of eternal life. 
Slowly, God brings us back through those things. Restores life. I won't pretend to you that, that I don't miss my sister or have every, every anniversary of her death. Think about her. Sometimes I'll grit my teeth in my sleep. After all these years... But you learn to live beyond the sorrow and pain of life because God gives you new life to live in and hope. I could tell you more, but <laughs> those are big enough. <laughs> My wife and I lost a child. I know the pain of those things. I know the sorrow of it. I know the ache of it. But I want to tell you, God is greater than all these things. And, and, and I want to tell you one story about when I was ministering, and I know I'm getting ready to run out of time, but I want to tell you one story. I was ministering in Melbourne, Australia, and at that time, Kevin Connors' church is now pastored by his son, Mark. Big church, very big church. It's 10,000 people now. And we, two other men and myself, were asked to come in, minister prophetically, and there were... 350 leaders, that should tell you the size of the church. And so they bring this couple up and they, they kneel down and this man, one of the team members goes up and he begins to prophesy to them, gave them a good word. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden God shows me something. Shows me this little, I can't even describe what it is, just this wisp of, of light and, and sins before the Lord and I, and I, I, I know what I'm seeing, and I hear this child from heaven singing. And the child, I mean, the Lord lets me hear the child, you know, speak, say, tell them that I'm okay. And so I went up to this couple, and I said, I don't, you know, I, all I can say is that God sometimes doesn't tell us everything. He holds some things close to his own heart. But I want to tell you, that what has happened to you was not your fault. And I told them what I saw. Of course, they began to uncontrollably weep. The whole place is weeping. All the, the leaders are weeping. And God does this amazing healing in their lives and in the life of all the leaders. And as it turns out, this couple had tried and tried to have children, and she had miscarried and miscarried and miscarried. And then they had this child. The child was two years old, and it was a, and it died in the crib. Nobody knows why, but God did. And in that moment, you see the lame and the blind and the broken and the hurting healed because I was willing to let God use the grace that he had given to me to minister to this couple, to minister to these leaders, to minister to this entire church. I was there two years ago in Melbourne in the, in the church, and that couple is there, and they have five children now. See, I know the, the king that I worship. I still, like you, have to get up and go run after him. I still have to stir up the gifts. 
But don't think that God misses anything about the sorrow in your life or the things that you've been through. He knows and he cares. And I'm asking you to stir up the gift in you not so you can feel spiritual, but so people can be healed and the glory of God can flow in the midst. How many of you are willing to do that today? Well, I'm going to pray for you. And I think there's a couple I'd like to minister to. Today, Lord Jesus, we declare you to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. You may have entered into Jerusalem, into that nation's capital, and into the temple. And you healed, you cleansed the temple, you drove out the hypocrisy and the religion. And you tried to bring it back to a place of of life where you could dwell in the midst. But we know you as the King of kings who has entered into heaven, who sits upon the throne. We know you as the one who sits in the new Jerusalem, of which we are citizens. And I ask you to look at this church and those that have lifted their hands, and I ask you to come and I ask you to touch their lives today. I ask you, Lord God, to respond to them as they've responded to the preaching of the word, and I ask you to stir those gifts up again. And I ask that there would not be anything that would hinder or prevent them, but they would press through, they would prevail, they would be overcomers, and that the grace of God would be released in in this house and in this church. And that in this church there would come a fresh determination to move forward in the things of the grace of God. And there would be such a stirring and such a noise in this place. Let your light shine upon hearts here today. Those who don't know you, may they find you today. May they find forgiveness for their sins by simply asking. May they find the power of a new life simply by asking. And may they follow after you for the rest of their lives to their very last breath. May they declare you the King of kings and Lord of lords. Come, Father, and visit this house afresh. Breathe upon it. And let these people arise in healing and rejoicing. Make them joyful in the house of prayer. I thank you, Father.